with us for the first time now. This is the uh, part of the service where we begin to uh, open up God's Word and um, have him speak to us. This is a, uh, a precious part of why we gather together. Um, you may not have ever heard of a Bible before, maybe you have heard of a Bible before. Uh, this is a living, breathing Word. It's uh, the inspired words of God that the Holy Spirit has inspired upon the hearts of uh, people to write up to probably three, 4,000 years ago. But it's still uh, speaking to us today and it's still alive and uh, speaks to us today in 2020, just like it may have spoke exactly to these people back on the uh, BC before um, Christ's birth was even here. Currently going through a series of uh, parables, looking at the uh, parables of Jesus Christ, the stories that he told. Uh, this will be the last one uh, for the month of January. And then we're going to start a new series uh, next week where we're going to unpack the vision statement of um, Exchange Church Have four weeks through the month of February. But today we're going to jump back into a, a parable uh, to wrap us up. So, hey, we live in a world of increasing tension and unrest. We have uh, brazen home invasions where thieves and thugs break into homes and now even doing it in broad daylight. Before it used to be like three in the morning or four in the morning, but now it's even in broad daylight. Uh, they'll threaten homeowners and steal their possessions. Or worse, they'll beat and injure the homeowners and then steal their possessions. I've got a, a niece of mine who was in her house and her boyfriend was in bed and she was somewhere else in the house and someone was actually in the house stealing stuff at the same time. It's just amazing how that takes place in broad daylight. Leaves people traumatised and fearful for long periods of time as you would fully expect. Uh, another aspect, uh, we live in a world also in political circles where people have differing points of view. Uh, there was a time where once you could have a civilised debate between two different political points of view and that could be okay. People could express their point of view without some sort of heated passions exploding in the middle of that debate and actually nearly shutting the whole thing down. Uh, why am I saying this? I think the question is uh, from all of that is what has happened to loving all people with respect? regardless of political agenda or political viewpoint, just loving and respecting people. Or about loving and respecting people in their own homes and respecting the privacy of their homes other than coming in and stealing and doing all sorts of things. What's ever happened to loving uh, other people with respect? As a general rule, we don't have genuine love and respect for all people, as you'll see as we unpack this parable shortly. Actually, we often pick and choose the ones we will love and others we don't love. So if you've got your Bible, so let's have a look at this as we think about uh, Luke chapter 10, and we think about the parable here of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to read from verses uh, 25 through 37. So uh, open up your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone or your Android or whatever you've got there. Go to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 25 through to verse 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Father, we uh, thank you now and praise you that we can come and gather around you. We ask, Holy Spirit, please just open up your word to our hearts now. Help us to see what Jesus is teaching, not only this lawyer, but teaching us today about loving all people regardless. Not putting people in boxes and choosing to love some and not others, but loving all people regardless. So I pray, Holy Spirit, please open up our eyes to see that now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, very familiar story of Jesus here. You might have, if you've been to church when you were a young person, you would have seen this probably at uh, Sunday school or a kid's church. Uh, It's a powerful picture here that Jesus portrays uh, of the love that he calls us all to show, calls us all to show to all people. Uh, It's a love that Jesus demonstrates himself and through the Holy Spirit has been deposited within us to live the same way, loving all people regardless. Everybody is our neighbour. This is what living in Jesus' kingdom looks like. This is what the parables of the kingdom are. It's how life looks like as a person created in God's image, redeemed by Jesus Christ for the gospel, and now lives in this particular way to demonstrate and to show God's love to all people. Uh, Here in this parable, this story, uh, we'll see a lawyer who approached Jesus here with a preconceived view of love. He already had a set mind uh, when it came to love. It was a very narrow view of love for this lawyer. His idea of love was was for those of his own kind, of his own suiting, not sort of broad and looking outwards. And if you didn't fit his type, the lawyer's type that is, well then you didn't get his love. He didn't actually include you in his life. So let's jump in here today as we think about this and see Jesus address this guy, this lawyer, and open up the understanding here of God's love for all people, regardless of race, gender, class or privilege. All people, full stop. Let's set the scene here for the parable. Jesus is doing some sort of teaching here with his disciples and there's others uh, gathered around as well, including this lawyer. Now you might be asking yourself, a lawyer, what does the Bible mean here it means lawyer? Because sometimes I've had to go visit a lawyer and I get a big whopping bill at the end of it when I see him. That's not the lawyer that Jesus is actually talking about here in, in like civil litigation or civil type things that are happening. Uh, The lawyer here that Jesus is talking about is an expert in the law of Moses. Uh, He studied the first five books of the Bible, the first five books that Moses wrote uh, from Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And actually what these guys did was derived 613 laws out of these first five books and that's how they lived life, was all bound up around these 613 laws. That's all they thought to earn their way to God was to keep these laws. And one thing here about these lawyers, these experts in the law, was that religion was without any living relationship with God. 
That's what they were about. It wasn't a living relationship with God. It was just actually obeying this law, keeping this law. They took great pride in the knowledge of God's word, but at the same time had no living relationship with him. They were people who knew a lot about God, but didn't really know God. It's a bit like you can watch those people on the tennis at the moment. You can find out all sorts of stuff about them on the TV, but you don't really know them. This is how these uh, experts of the law were. They knew lots of stuff, but they didn't really know God in a living and loving way. Jesus comes onto the scene here, truly revealing who God is and bringing light and truth about a living relationship that we can have with God. This didn't go down well with the religious establishment of the day, including these lawyers. You see, they had sort of gathered themselves into a cosy little system which actually feathered their own nest and they were actually living a good, comfortable life, and Jesus somewhat come and upset the apple cart by revealing the truth of who God is. In fact, these guys, lawyers, uh, were in constant tension here with Jesus. And you see it there in verse 25. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. He wasn't here to come in to compliment Jesus or encourage Jesus. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. What was he trying to do? He was trying to shame and discredit Jesus in front of all these people gathered here. He stood up to say something that would test Jesus in a negative way. The lawyer poses this question, what must I do to gain eternal life? He knew in his mind what he had to do, follow the 613 laws. He's trying to test Jesus to show him up. Jesus knows exactly where this guy is coming from. He knows the heart of this guy. So he answers by asking a question in return. He says this, Jesus points him right back to the Bible that the lawyers have been reading in verse 26 and says this, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus asks him. And the lawyer very quickly responds back because he knows the law very well. He says this, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says, great, you've answered well. Now go do it. Not quite the end of the story though for this lawyer. He's still trying to, as it were, pull Jesus down in some particular way. So the lawyer goes on in verse 29, revealing some more of his true colours and wanting to justify himself, it says there. He says, well, who is my neighbour? Just to dig that a little bit deeper, who is my neighbour? What's this lawyer doing here? Because he's trying to justify himself, it says. He's trying to make his narrow view of who he should love be proven right. I only have to love these people, not everybody, just these people that fit in my box. So if I've got to love somebody, if I've got to love my neighbour then, Jesus, let's see if your definition of neighbour, Jesus, is the same as my definition of what a neighbour is. What is it, Jesus? Jesus knows where this guy's coming from. He knows what's happening in the mind of this guy as he's talking and thinking like this. Jesus then launches into this parable here to answer the question about who we should love. Here's the parable. Here's the story. There's a guy travelling between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's about a 30-kilometre walk. It's a rocky and hilly road. This guy is set upon by bandits. He's mugged and he's left badly wounded. It's amazing, isn't it? You can probably see that story every night on TV. Things have not changed. 
Anyway, this guy is bloodied and beaten and he lies on the side of the road. Then a priest comes along, Jesus says, and sees this man lying in his blood on the side of the road. Who's a priest? What's Jesus referring to here? That's a pastor or a minister in that sense. He's supposed to know God really well. And he's also supposed to love and care for all people. What does this priest do? This priest sees the guy before he even gets him. He sees him 20, 30, 40 metres ahead. Sees him lying there. And as soon as he sees him, he makes a beeline for the other side of the road. He's not going anywhere near this guy who's bloodied and beaten lying on the side of the road. Totally avoiding here this potentially dying man. Next, a Levite comes along. What's a Levite? A Levite, again, is like a temple assistant. He also, too, is like a, an assistant minister, perhaps, at a church. He, too, should know God really well. And he, too, should actually want to love and care for all people. He, too, sees him, the, the wounded man lying in his blood beside the road, well ahead of him. And what does the Levite do? He pretends he's not even there. He pretends not even to see this man who's lying there half dead. And he too passes by on the other side of the road and walks right past this person there who's in desperate, desperate need. I think the story's quite interesting by now. Here's two guys that should have helped this dying man. They should have helped him. They saw a man here dying. They should have been people who cared for and loved old people and willing to come in and help. Now in some ways for those listening to this story, may not have expected any better from the priest or the Levite. Because the view often of the lay person or the common person of the day was that often these priests or Levites were quite proud people and they wouldn't actually bend over to help anybody. So it was actually sort of expected somewhat here that that's how the story might go as Jesus is telling it. Now, we might just give a little bit of uh, slack for the priest and Levite. There were defilement laws about touching certain uh, bodies that were maybe had blood on them. You know, maybe they could have done that. I'll give them about that much slack. But I think really they just didn't show compassion and didn't show love and just walked right past uh, this dying man. In fact, what, me, what many commentaries told me next, what was to be expected was this, was that somewhat a common everyday Jewish person or Israeli person would now come along and as it were rescue the day to show that the common people here are the ones who really know how to care for and to love people and to demonstrate this love. We know how to do this. But Jesus goes on here in verse 33 and says, A Samaritan comes along and he sees the dying man and immediately goes to his aid. This Samaritan, this guy loved him. He bandaged up his wounds. He treated him with medicines, took him to a local motel and was able to help him there to recover and to get better. Now, what we can't see here in this story is that every mouth would have dropped open as soon as Jesus mentioned the word Samaritan. Did he just say Samaritan? No, no, Jesus, surely. Not, no, no, you mean a Jewish person. Did, did he say Samaritan? Every mouth would have dropped open the moment Jesus had said Samaritan. It would have been total shock for them to hear that. Jesus, I'm sure you met a Jewish person, not a Samaritan. We'll cut you some flag. You can redo the story. 
Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing here when he mentioned the person was a Samaritan who came along. What's the problem here in the mind of the Jewish person for using a Samaritan person? You see, as far as the Jews were concerned, Samaritans are second-class people. If you go back into Jewish history in the uh, northern tribes, southern tribes in the Bible there, the northern tribe uh, Israeli people invaded by the Assyrians and they intermingled in marriages together. The people from the southern part of the land saw the northern Jews now as half-castes, as not pure, because they intermingle with these Assyrians and the, and the whole bloodlines are all mixed up and they're all crazy now. And this division between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Israel just got bigger and bigger and bigger. They called them Samaritans. They weren't even called Jews any longer or Israelis. They were called Samaritans. And a large section of the Jewish community from the southern tribes referred to the Samaritans as dogs. That's who they are. They're just dogs. They're no better than a dog. So you can begin to see here this whole point of why Jesus brings in this word Samaritan why their mouths would drop open. We just don't even think about those people. Such was the divisions between the Samaritans and the Israelis. There were certain roads that the Jewish people would not go down because it may pass through a Samaritan village. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But Jesus is really specific here with who he's calling and who he's choosing to use at this time. Jesus is making a point. His point here is this. When it comes to loving your neighbour... You don't treat anybody like a second-class person to the point where you actually withhold your love from that person because they don't meet your criteria or they don't fit your box. This is what Jesus is doing here by using this example of a Samaritan. In loving your neighbour as yourself, who's your neighbour? Anybody. Anybody. Your neighbour is Every person, regardless of who they are, or what they are, or what they've done, even if they are completely opposite to you in life, they're your neighbour. You love them. We love all people regardless. That's what Jesus is trying to show here by selecting this point of the Samaritan who's so opposed to everything in the Jewish mind at that particular time. How could I possibly love that person? Let me just clarify the word love here as well, in case there's a little bit of confusion. We're not talking about a romantic sense of love in that way. What we're talking about when we say love here, to love somebody is to respect and to value them, to help and genuinely care for all people with the capacity that God has given to us. When we say love, that's what we're talking about, not in a romantic sense, but to genuinely, with respect and value and help, to care for all people with the capacity that God has given us. So the key point here is this, is to love all people from this parable. And it's important to see here what Jesus is trying to model as he tells this story here about God's love, which is being demonstrated through this parable, or gospel love at the same time. Because this is who God is. God is the God of love. He is love. His whole person, his whole being is a loving being. God values and loves his creation. God values and loves people. People made in his image. God loves us in many, many ways. 
Who had breakfast this morning? A few hands had gone up. I know Audrey had a bowl of porridge this morning with strawberries on it. Good thing for breakfast. Who provided that breakfast? Audrey's going to say mum and dad maybe. Who provided that breakfast? God did. Whatever you and I have eaten today has come, has come from God's love towards us. But some might think, well, no, 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 didn't Woolworths provide breakfast for me? Because I went down the street and I got some porridge from Woolworths and bought the milk there and the strawberries there. Yeah, but where did they get it from? Yeah, but they got it from the distribution centre. Yeah, but where did they get it from? Well, they got it from their packing house or the processing centre. Yeah, but where did they get it from? Well, they got it from the farmer. Yeah, but where did the farmer get it from? Oh, he got it from the ground. All comes from God. It's amazing what, how God loves us. I look at that MKR show sometimes and they, I see those amazing creations they make and I just want to shout out, this all comes from God. They can't see that. They're just delighting God's goodness and God's evidence of love towards them. But that's what it is. It's evidence of God's love. Who enjoyed the rain this week? It was brilliant, wasn't it? God's love towards us gave us rain. When the sun rises tomorrow morning, what will that be? God's evidence of love towards all people. He's a loving God. Now there's something about God also that is absolutely unlike us. Absolutely unlike us. Often, we love somebody because they could be maybe a direct family member or extended family member, or we might see some character trait or some sort of um, attribute about someone to love. Like if we see someone kind to others, it's really easy to love them, isn't it? If someone's just kind and generous and they're exuding all these things, we can love those people. It's really simple. It's no effort at all. But if we see somebody who's nasty or just simply unkind towards others, well, we just don't love them, do we? We're sort of repelled by that. We sort of actually feel no inclination to love them at all. In fact, we'll probably avoid those people. That's not how God works. That's not how God shows his love towards us. You see, God doesn't love us because he sees something in us to love. God doesn't love us because he sees some sort of nice aspect of our lives that now, okay, I'll start to love that person because I can see something within them that's loving about them. God is a loving being. He's a loving person. It's part of his nature. It's intrinsic. It's part of who God is. You cannot separate this out of God and take it away. It's who God is. He's loving. And it comes from his free will. He's not forced to love. He freely chooses to love. Interesting verse here I see in Deuteronomy 7. It really helps me to see this idea of God's free love. And it's here for Israel. Moses is talking to Israel. and He's telling them here about God's love for this nation that he's just rescued. He says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. In other words, it's not that there was something special about you, Israel, that you were such a super large nation that I thought, gee, I better love these people. It's not that. He says, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But, verse 8, but, but it is because the Lord loves you 
and is keeping that oath he swore to your fathers. He simply loves. That's his free choice. That's his nature, to be a loving God. God's love is broad as well. It's not narrow like the lawyer's perspective on what love may be. In his general love, he loves all the world without favour. Look in Matthew 5.45, he says this, Sermon on the Mount, For he makes his son, God's son, to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. That rain came this way. It rained across the board. Some perhaps very nasty, evil people got the same good people, perhaps. God sends it to both. God plays no favourites here. His love is broad. It goes to all people. Everybody in, freely enjoys God's good love. Now I'm thinking about this lawyer here and I'm thinking he's probably feeling like he's backed into a corner a bit, isn't he? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where to go with this one. He was sort of hoping to outwit Jesus and make him look silly as the lawyer confounded him with all these questions and sort of, you know, things. Because you see, in the lawyer's mind and in Israel's mind, your neighbour only consisted of people uh, within your own family or own community. It may extend to the nation, but really no further than that. And even if it does extend to the nation, you only do what you're required to do and no more. You just do enough to sort of get it over the line and then you don't do any more. But even here in this parable, in this story that Jesus is telling here, it demonstrates God's extravagant love not just enough to get over the line, but above and beyond. Look at what's happening here. What did the Samaritan do? In verse 34, 35, it says there, he gets off his donkey and he goes and tends to this guy, puts the man on the donkey, and then he walks the remaining distance to get to the inn. You don't see the Samaritan there calling an Uber donkey to try and actually, let's get two of them here, and I'll go one, you, no, no, no. He says, I'll walk. I'll walk and you go on my donkey and I'll walk the rest of the way. And what does he do next? He didn't get him to the motel. Okay, right up. Good, I'm out. If you read the story, he stays the night. He stays the night and he tends the guy and keeps bandaging up his wounds and making sure he's got something to drink and someday he goes the whole way. It's not until the next day that he leaves, but he goes further. What else does he do? Before he goes, he leaves about probably $600 in today's term there with the innkeeper to cover the costs. To cover the costs of seeing this man become well. But he goes further. He says, look, you look after me as long as you possibly can. Hey, it doesn't matter. When I'm coming back through, if there's more costs incurred, I'll fix all that up then. If it takes two weeks, you just get him well and I'll pick up all the tab. I'll go the whole way with this guy. What is this? This is very extravagant love. Who to? An absolute stranger. An absolute stranger. It's next level. This is the extravagance of God's love that Jesus is demonstrating here. It's the generosity of who God is. Maybe again, the lawyer here is feeling undone by this moment. Hopefully he is. But I think he's getting a real picture here of God's love. He's beginning to see here what this love is all about. This is real, true gospel love. Not narrow, not just to some and not others. It's broad and it's wide and it's extravagant and deep and it's generous. You and I may sit here and feel the weight of that to some extent, thinking, hmm, that's not quite how I've been living. 
Or you may be sitting here maybe for the first time at exchange and you're saying, I want to know about that love. We are seriously glad you've come to be with us today because we want to tell you about that love that Jesus demonstrates for us at the cross. But some could be sitting here thinking, I'm just not sure I can do that. I was really hoping to buy that new iPhone, not go and actually pay for the health care of some stranger I don't completely know. I was thinking I was going to do that. I'm not up for this. I haven't got the ability to do this. I haven't got the heart for this. We're all together here in that. That's all of us. All of us are like that to some extent. We're like the lawyer in many respects. Our hearts are faulty. Our hearts are somewhat narrow. Selfishness and pride comes in and it begins to hold sway over our decision-making process about how I will show this love or how I will demonstrate this love. It just happens. Sometimes, though, sometimes we can love sacrificially and with generosity. It can happen. The recent bushfire appeals, I think, is a great demonstration of that with mankind. There's been some extraordinary uh, sacrifices going there and generosity with large amounts of people uh, raising money, rallying for the plight of the cause of others. It really is a demonstration of our love for our neighbour in that way. But what would be the result if all those people living in Gippsland and on the south coast of uh, New South Wales and into Queensland, what would be the result of all those people who are living in those areas if they were Muslim extremists? What would be the result if all those people living in those towns had links perhaps to um, uh, Islamic State? Do you think, do you think our generosity and love would be as just as great if that was the case? Or do you think it is all of a sudden just narrow right in? Our love has limits. It really does. Our hearts are broken in the sense that we don't love the way that God has created us to love. And we are unable to change our hearts in ourselves as they are. We haven't got the ability to change our hearts. We need someone to give us a new heart. We need someone to renew our heart, to give it this ability now to love the way God has called us to love. And this is what Jesus Christ came to do. He actually came to give us a whole new heart, to totally transform our hearts, to see things and see people in a whole new way. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to the cross to die on our behalf so that we could receive a redeemed a transformed, a new heart, a heart that now loves all people regardless, even Muslim extremists. Hearts that now can love like Jesus does. People vehemently hating upon him at the cross and he's dying they know what they do. I'll go that one there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is precisely what happens to us when we are born again. The Holy Spirit fills our heart with God's love. And with this newfound power of God's love, we can love anybody, anybody, even our neighbour, even our enemies, sorry. Look at, again in Matthew 5, it says this. Jesus is talking here in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said you shall 
uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. How do you do that? How do you do that? The gospel gives you the right mindset to do that. The gospel gives you the power to do that. What does the gospel say here about that? The gospel says this, Jesus came and loved me when I was totally unlovable. While I was yet an enemy to Jesus in my mind and through my life, he came and loved me. While I was his enemy, Jesus' enemy, not obeying him and following him, Jesus, out of love, dies for me, his enemy. So with a renewed mind in the Holy Spirit, I take this gospel thinking to my supposed enemy. Who might that be? Could be that person on Facebook who just dumps on me and says all this stuff about me. Could be this person who just mocks me and ridicules me every time I see them. Could be that person who I know just doesn't love me. Could be that harsh boss or that supervisor who's always giving me a hard time. Totally unlovable in many respects. Could be that person who's just ripped me off, blind. Perhaps all those are perceived enemies. But who are they? They're people just like me. They're made in God's image. But also they are broken. Their hearts are faulty and their hearts are corrupted. They spew out their lies and it comes from a heart that is trapped, trapped in selfish, warped living. They say and they do the most hurtful things on Facebook, on social media. They say all sorts of stuff about me. But the gospel helps me to understand that it comes from a life that's been influenced by sin and the brokenness of this world. And then I think, Jesus loved me when I was like that. Jesus didn't stop loving me when I behaved like that. As I roll that around through my mind and the Spirit brings it alive in my heart and I apply that truth to my heart, the Holy Spirit then grants me the power to love those people who do those hurtful things towards me. And here's what you experience when you do that. You experience God's own love, God's own peace and God's own joy in actually living out that gospel truth of loving all people regardless. There'll be a sense of God's love renewed in our own hearts as we live out the gospel by loving all people, even our perceived enemies. Now, that doesn't mean I put myself in the firing line of somebody who continually is angry to me and just unloads on me. Sure, I'm not saying do that. But there'll be times you may come across the path of that person and you need to relate to them in some way. I love them. I love them, I respect them, I value them, I care for them in whatever possible way that I possibly can. Who might that be? It could be your next door neighbour. You hear some horrible stories sometimes of, of neighbours living next door that are just downright nasty people to live with. Jesus says, love your neighbour. Through the power of the gospel, I can do that. I can do that. Now, this is of the utmost importance for us today. If we're calling ourselves a follower of Jesus, to have this love as a word in our own hearts and radiating out through our lives is of the utmost importance in today's world. As Christians, 
in many respects, we're moving into uh, uncharted waters, unmapped waters of opposition. In culture today, more often than not, Christians are perceived to be narrow-minded and bigoted people. We're not really the flavour of the month for the community at large, and it's probably going to increase more and more. They see the teachings of the Bible are outdated and really somewhat going against the flow of the culture where we live. And in perhaps an increasing way, some sections of the community are looking to, as it were, shut down the Christian voice. Showing a real demonstration of Christian love in the face of this type of opposition, I believe, will be key that will break down any potential barriers that these people try and keep pushing into our face, that the community tries to keep pushing against us. As they accuse us of being unloving people because of our stance or our view, we can practically live out Jesus' love before these people. And if that's the case, it'll go a long way to disarm them from their thinking. I can't guarantee it's going to stop them and their reactions, but if we live out the genuine love of Christ in our lives, it will go a long way to disarming their point of view. Really important that this love is flowing out through lives as a witness for Christ to be good citizens that God's called us to be. Let me just close here with this uh, last uh, story, a really simple story that illustrates this really well. Uh, Randy Elkhorn is a, a gospel man who has campaigned against the murder of uh, babies through abortion practices for years and years and years and years. Uh, Randy has done this uh, carefully, peacefully, yet very resolutely. Uh, Randy Elkhorn eventually went to jail when the pro-choice abortion clinics sued him for loss of business earnings, so he was achieving his end result of uh, less abortions. Rather than pay the fine, if he had to pay the fine, it goes directly to the pro-choice abortion clinics. Rather than pay the fine, he went to jail. He wasn't going to give them any money. It didn't end there, though, for Randy. The pro-abortion people came and they began to picket his church, protesting against his church for whatever they might have been saying. How do you think Randy Elkhorn responded to these people coming to picket his church and protest against his unloving ways and his narrow-minded ways? It was a freezing cold day in the middle of winter in the USA. Randy and his church went inside and they brewed up some hot coffee, cooked some hot dogs, and they brought them out and fed the protesters with coffee and hot dogs. Isn't that a brilliant way to actually respond? You don't go, you don't go out there and argue with them. You just go out there and love them. And you still may have a discussion with them, but you open up the door first by loving them. That's brilliant, I reckon. That's the love that God plants in our hearts through Jesus Christ. That's the love the Holy Spirit empowers through us to reach into a community that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I give you thanks and praise today that we can come before you and worship you. I thank you today that Jesus has uh, come and rescued us and placed that love into our hearts. The love, Lord, that is limitless. The love, Lord, that it cannot be broken down. The love, Lord, that conquers all this world may throw against us. I pray today, Holy Spirit, deepen that love in our hearts, that we would truly see what Christ has done for us, and we would show that love to all those around about us. Pray for that now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Caleb's going to come now. And